Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode three of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, I'm joined by the co-founders of Bridget. We have CEO Mallory Brody and COO Lauren Lake. Bridget is a leader in construction workforce planning. I first learned about the company earlier this year when Autodesk announced they had actually invested in them. Bridget solves some of the main pain points that I experienced firsthand when I was working for a couple different general contractors. And needless to say, I'm excited to talk about it today. Can you both tell our listeners a little bit about the background of each of you and then the core uh, the company itself? Yes, definitely. So hi, everyone. My name is Lauren Lake. And my background prior to Bridget was I studied civil structural engineering. I'm in school, had family in the construction industry. So my grandfather started a construction business that my two uncles now run. And so I had the opportunity to work for my uncle's company as you know, a junior engineer while I was studying engineering and get some of that hands on experience. My name is Mallory Brody. I'm Lauren's partner in crime and the CEO of Bridget. I was actually studying business, but my family also was in the construction industry. So had some of that history when Lauren and I joined forces. My grandfather had a rebar company and great grandfather had a demolition company. And so it was definitely in the family, but it was really at the beginning of Bridget that we did more onsite research and started determining how we could potentially bring more technology to the industry. It's always interesting to hear the path getting into construction technology. When I came out of school, I I studied tech com and and didn't know anything about the industry at all and kind of fell into it. And the amount of opportunity, I think, for young people, especially to leverage their technology chops has just increased over the last five to 10 years. So when we spoke previously, you had shared a little bit about going crane hunting in the early days of Bridget. Can you tell me a little bit about that adventure? Absolutely. So we actually started the business through an accelerator program. And the first challenge was to go out and find an opportunity in the industry. We both immediately gravitated towards construction because of Lauren's studies and our family backgrounds, but we knew that we had to actually go out on site and do a lot of our primary research with people that were currently working in the industry. So once we got back to our university campus, there was a $400 million construction project where we started our research and we just walked onto site and started asking questions about some of their pain points and challenges. But after that, we knew we had to talk to you know far more than just one site. So every morning we would get in the car, which was my mom's, I guess my hand-me-down for my mom's Sebring convertible. And we would take that to drive around job sites in the city. And we would literally look up to the sky and spot cranes. And then that's how we knew, you know, what direction to drive in to find more sites to do a lot of our on-site research. So that was the beginning of Bridget, just getting to know the industry more, looking for areas that we could be helpful. Yeah, I think it was just kind of the intuitive thing for us to do. We knew that we weren't just going to magically come up with a product just by brainstorming between the two of us. We had to really get our like literally boots on the ground kind of approach and actually figure out what the pain points were. So it was very much, you know, finding and identifying the problems first and then building solutions kind of as a secondary 
point. I think that was a great way to go about it. And I, I know firsthand, once you get construction professionals talking about their passions in this industry, it's, it's almost hard to get them to stop just because people are so enthusiastic about what they're building and what they're doing. It's very hands-on. So if you were offering insight and in how you might be able to help them do those jobs better, I can only imagine the excitement once you kind of proved yourselves and showed up and, and made sure that they were you know, sharing all that information with you. You had shared more with me before about Bridget Bench in particular. Could you walk me through that product a little bit? Absolutely. So Bridget Bench is a workforce planning platform for the construction industry specifically. So right now we're working with many general contractors that are on the ENR 400 list and also some smaller contractors in North America. And what we discovered after, again, interviewing a number of construction CIOs, COOs, VPs of operations, was that all of the resource planning and workforce planning um, to get their team members scheduled on site was being done by Excel spreadsheets and by whiteboards. And that was difficult because it didn't allow you to integrate with other tools very easily. So if they were using software in other parts of their business, the data couldn't pull in and sync very easily. It wasn't very collaborative and they weren't able to understand some key insights like their workforce use utilization, for instance. So some of these VPs of operations, for instance, had 200 people on their team, and it was never clear if only 150 were assigned to projects or if everyone was actually way over capacity and everyone was needing to be in two places at once, which often happens in the industry. So we went out to actually build a tool that could help solve some of these specific pain points we heard about and really help streamline the resource planning process in the, in the construction vertical. Yeah. So our solution is, you know, a really easy to use web platform. So so a general contractor could upload all of their team members and all sorts of information about each of those people. So they might track, you know, somebody's home address, for example, so that they can optimize for their distance to a site, or they might track whether that person is willing to relocate in case a job out of the state comes up. They might track their past experience, their specialties, their certifications, and so on. It's all very customizable because we know every company does this slightly differently. And the idea is that you'd be able to, in those manpower planning meetings, you know, go through all of your empty roles and then quickly identify who the best fit is for that role based on all of these different criteria that you might start to search and filter on. So it's very similar to the process that people would go through using their spreadsheet, but it is all digital and, you know, we can help streamline some of that process. I wish we had had a tool like that when I was still working in industry. I can vouch as a former proposal and marketing manager. I worked for companies that were very large and the way we would choose staffing to put into proposal efforts was a bit of a nightmare. We would print out large stacks of resumes and I'd be in the room with you know co-founders and project executives and we'd just be leafing through these pages of documents trying to say, well, I think maybe Tony is going to be available. That job's going to be done, you know, by by December, we can put him on that credibly. And it was an absolute nightmare. And, and once you go past a certain scale, it's not feasible to manage your manpower in that very manual and, and using your memory on what experience, you know, what project executives you have. It's just a, a huge challenge. And so I, I'm excited to hear that you've listened to the pain points that I've, you know, personally experienced for years and years and have put a tool out into the ether that will allow people to make those decisions based on information instead of just, you know, their gut feel. So as you're very well familiar, construction's traditionally very slow to adopt these new types of technology. Can you share a little bit how you found your early momentum and, and give advice for others who are trying to get their organizations to pick up new pieces of technology to reinforce their workflows? 
Yeah. So when we first started the company, we started pitching this idea of technology for the construction industry to lots of different people that were more on the tech side versus the construction side. And the feedback that we kept getting was, oh, that's a really interesting idea. It makes a lot of sense, but this is never going to work in reality. Construction is too slow to adopt technology. It's too you know, old school. This isn't actually going to happen. Construction doesn't want to purchase technology. Otherwise, this would exist already. And so we said, you know, maybe that's true, but we better go and prove that for ourselves. And so that's really where the crane hunting came in. We wanted to validate whether or not this was actually an interesting opportunity. And in doing all of that you know, research and talking to people from the industry, it became clear very, very quickly that you know, just as you said, people were so passionate to share their challenges, to share their ideas, um, to have that conversation. And we would ask, you know, why is it that you're doing this manually? Why wouldn't you use a technology product? And often the answer was, of course, we want to use more technology, but, you know, there's a specific gap that we have right now that we don't have a tool to fill. And so that was, you know, clear, I think, for us from the beginning that that perception of being slow to adopt technology was not because anyone on site or within the offices was necessarily resistant to technology. It was just that, you know, construction is a very specific industry with very specific needs. And so the tools had to be built for them. Yeah, I think the industry overall just set a really high bar for technology and what was actually going to be helpful. And I don't think the industry was willing to adopt technology for the sake of having technology. It really had to solve the problems that they were facing and the pain points that they were facing. And we definitely saw that with our first product, which was more of a field-based tool when, you know, companies were trying to sell software to the site, but the site said, well, we can't make use of that unless there's a mobile component because we're walking around the job site all day. So I think the feedback from the industry was, you know, very clear. And it was just a matter of, you know, the vendors starting to actually provide real solutions and robust solutions that the industry actually was asking for. I think you're absolutely right. The challenges in using something that's not specifically built for these customers, it just doesn't work. And I, I've got experience with that myself, where we're trying to use things like Google Suite in the cloud and such to kind of act as a stopgap as we try to collaborate together. And you can make it work, but as soon as a mistake happens, sometimes that ends up creating additional work and those proofs of concept, if they fail, it, it fails very hard and very quickly. So I'm excited to hear that you're, you're putting the attention that's necessary to get these specific industry-focused tools out to the market. So with the boom in venture capital pouring into construction technology in the last years, do you have any thoughts about how construction tech is funded by the different VC firms that are out there? It's, it's become kind of a hot commodity. Construction tech is now the new, oh, there's, there's opportunity here. And it's, it's interesting to see how this has kind of shook out in the last few years. Yeah, it's funny. When we first started the business, I remember getting a lot of feedback from initial investor conversations that the market wasn't big enough. And since then, we've seen so many companies emerge and, you know, being acquired for, you know, very large sums or going public or on their way to becoming public. And there clearly is just so much global opportunity. And so it's just funny to sort of think back to some of those comments. I do think overall, the trend we've seen is that despite the fact that construction is a very project-based industry, venture capitalists traditionally really want to invest in recurring and subscription-based business models that, you know, there's no specific end in sight for the contract. And that is a bit of a mismatch between a lot of the products and I think problems to be solved in the industry, given how project-based it is. And so it's been interesting as a 
company that's serving the construction industry and solving the needs of the construction industry and how that won't necessarily always match up with the way these companies get funded. And so I think what we'll end up seeing is, you know, more innovation happening for the problems that can be sold on a subscription-based model and less innovation happening for things that will remain very much project-based or that customers want to pay for in a project-based fashion. The project-based piloting, it's its such an interesting twofold because, of course, the total contract value goes down if you've only sold the one single project. But I think it's also a great opportunity for customers who are uncertain about the different tools that are offered to, to kind of pilot it. So it, it's a challenge because, of course, the VCs want to make money and, and grow successful organizations. But sometimes that land and expand model is kind of the way to go for the contractors who are looking to, to pick up these new pieces of technology but aren't necessarily ready to jump in 100%. Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. With our first product, that was very project-based. In some ways, that was helpful because we could kind of get our foot in the door by just launching on one specific site and using that as the beta or test case to prove that the technology was working. But on the flip side, you know, sometimes that makes it harder because companies are you know, very concerned about wanting to make sure that every project goes smoothly. They don't want to necessarily take a risk on a project by introducing something new. With our current product with Bridget Bench, the way that we're able to get our foot in the door a lot of the time with larger companies is just by working first with one regional office and using that as the test case or the guinea pig, making sure that we're able to prove success within that one office. So let's say we start with the Seattle office and then expanding to the other regional offices from there. So as female founders, you're at an interesting intersection between two traditionally male-driven fields, construction and the tech industry. Can you tell me more about that journey? Yeah, we joke that we're in the the most male-dominated of spaces because it is the intersection of, of those two industries. I think for both Mallory and myself, we came from families in the industry. We had the background, so coming from you know an engineering and business background to make this company work, but we definitely didn't fit the traditional mold of what you know people would expect to see. And so we get these questions about being female founders a lot. I think the interesting thing for us is I think people assume that sexism or these you know biases would play more of a role on the construction side. And that really has not been our experience. We really can't think of an example where that has played out um, as being, you know, a, a negative factor on the construction side, where I think we saw more of that impact was early on in speaking with investors and actually getting funding for the company. So Mallory can share a bit more about that. Yeah, there's lots of papers and research that have been written about the percentage of venture capital that goes to female founded companies, and it's very small. And so I think, you know, the venture world often comes down to pattern recognition. And when you don't fit a mold, or, you know, you're not sort of the pattern that they're looking for, for, then it can be hard to break through, especially in like those pre-seed seed days where you don't necessarily have the traction or the customers to back up your idea or not a lot of them at that point. And so I think that really drove Lauren and I to always focus on our numbers first and foremost. And in order to have strong numbers, you need to be providing value. So we are always kind of going back to our customers, figuring out how we could add more value. And that ultimately helps us, you know, grow the business, get the numbers we need to then raise the capital to continue growing the business. So it gave us this really great focus, but it definitely was something that I think made it a little bit more difficult in those early days to get that initial funding. Yeah, there's a bit of a turning point where we were part of this I guess you could call it like an accelerator program. And so we had all these different mentors around us and 
we kept coming back and saying, you know, we've pitched all these different investors and we keep getting rejected and here's all of the reasons that we've been given. And so we would list out all these different reasons and there wasn't really a, a consistent theme. They were kind of all over the place. And we said, we don't really know what's happening. Maybe we need to, you know, just keep going, keep pitching this business. And then it was one person in particular who just said, kind of, you know, sorry if this is, you know, taboo of me to say, but is it possible that the reason you're getting rejected and the reason you're getting all these different excuses is because you're female founders in this very male dominated industry. And maybe you just don't fit the pattern that these people are looking for. And so you're getting these excuses, but maybe that's kind of the underlying reason. And we left that meeting a little bit discouraged thinking, okay, well now what? We can't really change who we are, this isn't a solvable problem. And I think up until that point, every problem we faced just felt like we could figure it out. We could come up with some solution and we were going to get to the other side. And this was the first challenge, I think for both of us, where we felt that there really wasn't like a, a solution to it. And so that's when we kind of focused, as Mallory said, and, and said, the only way we can really prove this out is in the numbers. Nobody can argue with that. If we just keep putting our heads down and hitting those numbers, then we can show it in the traction versus having these external factors kind of play into it. I think it's important to have these conversations. They're ones that some people feel are a little bit more uncomfortable, but unless we you know, talk about this, I don't think everybody has an opportunity to identify them. I know, of course, PlanGrid was led by Tracy Young, who was an incredible CEO. I had the good fortune of working under her before we were acquired by Autodesk a few years ago. So hopefully down the line, the opportunities continue to expand. Do you have any other advice for others who have desire to start a business in either construction or tech or both? as you both have been doing here? I think one of the things we, we always recommend is just go out and talk to your customers. I think that's something that often in the early days companies neglect, especially if they have the skill set to immediately start building the product. And so the first instinct is, oh, oh, I have an idea, let's build a product and then test it. But I think you know it's just so valuable to go out and learn about the industry and talk to the people that would actually be using your application before you start building it. And for us, that was you know not so much a choice. We didn't have a technical co-founder. And so we had to make sure that we really understood what the product was going to be before we had to hire someone to build it. It wasn't, you know, a co-founder that built it. And so that was really an important step for us, but I think it's just paid dividends throughout the years and it's very much ingrained in our product development process now. So I would just definitely say like, go out there, talk to the people that you'll be selling to, and you'll learn a lot from that. And it's not a project. It's not something to do just at the beginning of your company. It's something that you should never stop doing. We hear from lots of people who say, I really want to start a business, but I'm just waiting to find my idea. And for us, you know, there's lots of businesses that do start from that, you know, great invention, that great light bulb moment. But for us, it never happened that way. For us, it was always that very iterative process of showing up within these companies or offices and sites and just asking those questions over and over and over again, finding the problems and then building solutions and continuing to tweak those as we got more and more feedback. It didn't just, you know, magically appear one day. So I think that's an inspiring way to look at starting a business as you don't have to wait for this moment to happen happen necessarily. There's problems all around us in every industry out there. And so if you go and start asking those questions, I think you're bound to find some sort of opportunity. 
getting out and answering those tough questions. It, it gets you closer to the product that's going to be successful for your audience without having to show up and convince them that they need it because they've already told you that they do. So it's a pretty great approach. I, I really like it. I'm curious how the pandemic has impacted your organization and your customers. So Autodesk Construction Cloud has seen a dramatic increase in usage since the start of the pandemic as teams have adjusted to new ways of working. So I'm curious to see how that shook out at Bridget. We've definitely been experiencing the same. So we saw a 70% spike in usage in April. And I think we had this strong belief that the construction industry was going to trend towards digitization over the coming years and that you know we're very much invested in that trend. But I think this has really accelerated that movement as construction companies were being forced to work from home and couldn't rely on you know whiteboards or only one person having access to a specific document and all of that. So I think we've just seen you know a massive acceleration of that transformation that we knew was bound to happen at some point and was already in progress. And I think it's forced companies to be a lot more collaborative around some of those processes. And so a lot of the cloud-based tools that are more collaborative in nature have helped you know, companies make that shift. Especially for us being on the workforce planning side of things, when COVID first happened, that's what companies were scrambling to figure out was okay, how do I move people from one job to another? How do I make sure that, you know, if somebody needs to be in isolation, if somebody's been exposed to a potential case, you know, I'm constantly shuffling people around. And so it just created even more urgency around figuring out the workforce planning side of things specifically. I can see how that would have really ramped up usage of the product then. The interesting thing that always comes out of some of these economic challenges and downturns is it typically seems to be a catalyst specifically for the construction industry to kind of get moving at a pace that they have been traditionally reluctant to do so. A good example of that would be the BIM adoption after the last big recession. Most of the contractors who heavily focused on BIM as things were uncertain came out of the economic challenges ahead of those that did not. And so I think we're, we're absolutely mirroring that on this time around with the construction collaboration tool adoption, which it's unfortunate that a, a challenging thing has to happen to, to kind of get everybody moving. But I think the industry is going to come out for the better for it, just because improving that collaboration, reducing the amount of rework that people have to do, making sure they have the right access to the right documents at the right times is becoming even more important. And as organizations pivot to more flexibility around remote work, tools like yours and things like Autodesk's offering really just continue to become even more important than they were, you know, 10 or 12 months ago. So I've had a lot of fun learning about your journey into construction technology. I, I really appreciate both of you joining here on the podcast. I do have one final question that's been fun to ask everybody that I've had on the show so far. So what would be one tool that you have to have in your toolbox, no matter the circumstance? I think for me, I rely heavily on Google Maps. I use it every single day. It's always the first thing that pops up on my most recently used apps. And I think that's just because it integrates everything. So, you know, if I'm looking something up, if I'm calling a business, I, I always default to Google Maps and do everything from there. And for me, we have something in, so we're based in Canada and we have something called Kijiji and it's like the Canadian version of Craigslist or, you know, Facebook marketplace. And that is something that I'm totally obsessed with in the very early days of Bridget, you know, when we couldn't pay ourselves or anything, I would try and sell things on Kijiji to make some money. I know Lauren would sometimes go into her parents' basement and sell things that they didn't need anymore on Kijiji. So it was our lifeline probably for a little bit. And then now it's just 
evolved into something that I love using. We furnished a couple of our offices off, you know, Kijiji only purchases and always take great pride in finding a good deal. So that's probably the thing that I rely on the, the most in my personal life. Anyway, I should be a Kijiji influencer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's a challenging one in the pandemic because we've got too much free time to, uh, to be at home shopping. I had my eyes on Craigslist and Amazon much more than I would have liked to at the beginning of the pandemic and my, my pocketbook didn't appreciate it. So <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you'd like to plug or share with the audience? And can you tell your listeners how they can connect with you if they've got any additional questions? Absolutely. So yeah, I'd say if you're a general contractor or a subcontractor that's looking to help optimize your resource planning and get off of those spreadsheets and whiteboards, then definitely we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on our website, um, BridgetSolutions.com. We also have a LinkedIn page under Bridget, which is B-R-I-D-G-I-T. And feel free to reach out anytime via those channels. We're also on Instagram. So we're you know sharing some of our stories and our entrepreneurial journey and just all the things that we've kind of done and, and come across along the way. So you can find us there as well. Awesome. Thank you. I actually have a plug today. So Autodesk University is start streaming at nine o'clock AM Pacific time on November 17th. So attendees will be getting insights and announcements straight from the Autodesk team. If you're into construction or the AEC space, immediately after Andrew's keynote, the, uh, the industry keynotes will all be taking place. So it's a good spot to go get some great insight from Autodesk and then also see the work that some of our customers have been up to over the last year. And if you want more information on what the digital experience for Autodesk University is going to be like, just check out the first episode of the podcast. We do a pretty deep dive for the first half of that conversation. And for those out there listening, I want to say thanks for taking some time to join us on this week's episode of Digital Builder. If you have any questions for me or would like to be a guest on the future episode, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am Eric Thomas, a manager of construction thought leadership and content marketing here at Autodesk Construction. Finally, look for new episodes every other week and make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. On that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.